Miracles on miracles. Jesus, we... Oh, what a powerful name is the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name is the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name. Jesus, we thank you. We welcome you here. Thank you, Lord, for the ways that you've already shown up today. I thank you, Lord, as we've been singing to you, as we've been glorifying your name. Lord, I know you're already working. You're already moving. You're already prepping hearts. I know you've got a word for each and every one of us, Lord, and I pray, would you deliver that word to us? God, we, we rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus from this place. We rebuke any distractions. We surrender. We're going to make a bold prayer right now, and we're going to say, Jesus, do whatever you want to do in me. If you're ready, say that prayer to him today. Say, Jesus, today, right now, do whatever you want to do in me. I give you full permission, God. You can have my life. I surrender. For it's in Jesus' name, the name that is above all other names that we pray. And Thorn Creek Church said, Amen, church. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. You may be seated. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Those of you who are here online, welcome. We're so glad you're joining us for service today. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is uh, Nick McCall. I'm the Life Stages Pastor here at Thorn Creek, and I have the incredible honor to bring the word today. Incredible honor. I don't view this lightly. take it very seriously, so I'm grateful to be here. Um, Pastor Ruben, is in Missouri right now. He's preaching tomorrow at a church in Missouri. So he asked me to tell you, please pray for him. Uh, Pray that God would give him the words as he delivers this word to this church in Missouri. Um, Before we get too far into the message, though, today, we have a really exciting thing I want to talk to you about. This happens every November. It's our Feed 5000 project. Can you guys believe we're talking about Thanksgiving next month? And that everybody like, whoa, right? It's October. Yeah, next month we've got Thanksgiving, which means next month we've got Feed 5000. So if you're unfamiliar with Feed 5000, you've never heard of this before. This is a project we've done every year for years now. I don't even know how many, at least 10 years we've been working on this project where we partner with Food for Hope and we come together. By the way, Food for Hope is in action every single week feeding. I think it's over 20 schools now. I think we're partners with over 20 schools and working with kids who are on assisted or free lunch and we work with their families on a weekly basis. Um, But in November, what we do is we provide all of these families that we work with already a full Thanksgiving meal. We used to give them a frozen turkey, uh, but now we found out actually a lot of the people that we serve don't eat that. They don't eat turkey for Thanksgiving or they've, they, they eat something different. And so we found, well, let's give them gift cards so they can get whatever they would like. So it gets a full box they get with, a, with potatoes and, and dessert and all kinds of stuff. And then they also get a gift card in that box. So um, here is our goal. As, a, as Thorn Creek Church, we're wanting to sponsor 200 boxes. Now, the cost has, I'm told, like tripled since last year. Um, So the new cost per box this year is $30 per box. But that $30, again, that's a gift card. That's a full-on Thanksgiving meal for an entire family in need. Um, So you are helping them out. And I encourage you, as you pray for this, as you prayerfully sponsor boxes, pray specifically for the families that will be benefited by your decision to sponsor them 
Um, so we're feeding all these schools as well as the Renaissance apartment complex. We show up and knock door to door and give them a box. So you can be part of this in a lot of ways. There's a lot of different ways you can help out with this Feed 5000 project. That will be, that more information will be coming later. For now, what we would like you to do is go to feed5000.gives and consider sponsoring a box, $30 if you can, uh, to sponsor a box for a full Thanksgiving meal. We got one box down. That means we're 199 away from our goal. Um, super awesome. So anyway, encourage you to, uh, to be part of that. Um, as we're transitioning into our series now, we're, we're in this series called How, uh, where each week during this series, we're talking about a different um, kind of most Google searched question to talk about challenges with life and things. Today, the topic is how to let go of guilt. How many of you are envying me right now? I'm guessing most, none of you are. It's a heavy topic. Um, this is a heavy one, and to be honest with you, I've, I've prayed a lot about this message this week. I've, I've worked a lot on it many hours and just struggled through it. I'll be real with you. Struggled through it is, it's just so heavy. So heavy as many of us I know are walking around every day carrying guilt with us, right? Guilt of things, maybe something you've done in the past or someone you've wronged or some situation in your life and you just like carry it like baggage around with you all the time. I recognize the weight of this message. So please know I'm approaching this with understanding the weight um, that, that we carry on this topic of guilt. But I wanted to start off with a little bit of a lighthearted story. When I was a kid, I had some really good friends of mine. Their names were Logan and Scott. These are the, my friends who actually introduced me to Jesus. Um, they tricked me into coming to this church when I was 11 years old. And I have, I mean, God worked through them in my life in a, in a beautiful way. But they were really big into cars. Um, this is a picture of their dad's car. Um, here up on the screen. So their dad collected, I'll tell you all about this car in a second, um, but their dad collected cars. And we would go to car shows every weekend. I would go with them. It was, we'd go to Sonic on Friday nights. We'd go to Bandamere on the weekends. We would go around. We'd go to these car shows, swap meets. Like, I grew up doing that stuff. I loved it. They are the reason I like 80s music, by the way. If you got any, any 80s music fans in the place, um, my favorite 80s band is Def Leppard. I've actually seen them in concert with Foreigner and Styx. That was a pretty cool concert. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. Um, but anyway, so back to the story. So their dad collected these cars, and he had a lot of them. Most of them he kept over on the side of his house, kind of under a carport. But this one was special. This one he kept in the garage, under a fabric cover, was very careful, would not drive it in the rain. You know, it was just very careful with it. It was his prized possession. And, and he would take us out on drives. Uh, sometimes it was super loud. And I remember when we were in this car, we just felt invincible. You know what I mean? We just felt so cool. We're waving at everybody. We just thought we were so awesome. And so one day he takes us out for a drive. By the way, he got this car when he was in high school. It's got the original paint job still to this day. I think that's a recent picture of this car. It's a 1970 Dodge Cornet RT for those of you who are car buffs or car fans. So one day after a drive, um, he pulled it into the garage carefully, and the cover wasn't on yet, and you guys probably can already see where this story is going. Um, I went out for a bike ride, and for whatever reason, I was coming up the driveway pretty quick on my bike. And uh, something, I think it was a dog got in my way, and so I swerved to get out of the way of the dog, and then my handlebar went This metal handlebar on the side of his car. And you know what my friends did? 
I'm telling, I'm telling. They like ran inside. There was no talk to like plan, like, hey, let's talk this out. Hey, maybe we can fix this. They just ran inside and ratted me out. I told their dad. He came outside, and I swear I saw him cry. And he was so upset at me for what I did. And I think my parents actually, by the way, you can't see the damage anymore, but on that back corner of the car was where I hit it. Um, thankfully, you know, I think he got it pretty well taken care of. You can't even tell anymore, but it was a pretty good size scratch on the side of this car. But so this car that once resembled fun for me, that once resembled feeling invincible, hanging out with my friends, then became this, this object of guilt for me. It totally changed the car. Whenever I looked at it, I just remembered what I did. You know what I'm talking about? And I, and I think that totally relates with us and, and what we go through is like, Certain people might remind you of what you've done or certain places or certain events, and it might just be like this reminder for you of, of, of what happened in the past. I know all of us face guilt. I think one of our biggest challenges with our past mistakes is we, we tend to define ourselves by our past mistakes. We, we allow our identity to become kind of wrapped up in what we've done, and we think, you know what, I am who I am. I'm just the sum of my past mistakes. And I think it's easy for us to, to think that, and then we walk around with our heads low in life because we think all that we are is what we've done. I'm here to tell you today the grace of God is bigger than that. The grace of God is bigger than what you've done, and you don't have to walk around with your head low because there is a God who loves you and sees you. I know many of you, um, you might be sitting here today living with consequences, of something you've done in the past. And that's a hard place to be. And I believe God allows guilt for a season. But I think then God wants us to walk out of the dark, walk into the light of his forgiveness and his redemption and move past it and make something good out of it. Above all else, what I want you guys to hear today is this. God is bigger. God is bigger than your past mistakes. God is bigger than the guilt that you feel. And that guilt doesn't have to own you. You don't have to be caught with your head low in that because there's a God who's working in your life who offers forgiveness and redemption. God is that good. He is that good. Nothing is wasted. Today we're going to look into an Old Testament story. Um, the, the life of King David. King David knows a little something about guilt. Um, if you guys are, know the, his story, he, he had this baggage and he wrestled with guilt. But this story is a great example of, number one, how our decisions don't just impact us, but they impact the people around us, but also how God can redeem any situation, no matter how scary or dark or low the situation is. So I, I invite you to join me. Second Samuel chapter 11 is where we're going to be today uh, for most of this, most of our time together. Chapter 11, verse 1 starts off. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. David remained in Jerusalem. Um, it's interesting it mentions it was, that spring was the time for war. Uh, this is because the winter was the rainy season. 
And as you can imagine, dirt roads, muddy roads, makes it really difficult to haul wagons and weapons and supplies and troops walking through the mud. So naturally, winter wasn't ideal for war. They would oftentimes go to war in the spring. Also, they would plant the crops during the rainy season. And in the spring would be when they would harvest. So as the soldiers, as the troops are out at war, it was easy to find grain, easy to find food to eat. So it was just ideal. And then it mentions also... This person named Joab, person named Joab. Joab was David's nephew. Um, he was kind of a military commander in David's army. Joab was kind of the guy who would get the dirty work done and sweep it under the rug. You know what I'm talking about? He was like someone in David's group that like, you had a dirty job you needed to get done. It was going to be messy. It was going to be kind of scary. You give it to Joab. Joab will take care of it. So David sends Joab out and the rest of the army to do the dirty work. When he stays home in Jerusalem, he sends them out to do his dirty work. His responsibility was to be out at war with his men. But he sends Joab and the rest of the troops out instead, and he stays home. Interesting. We get to verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. He should have stopped right there. She's a wife. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. The only word she speaks in this whole story, those three words right there, I am pregnant. David's hanging out at home. He should have been out, but he wasn't. He's hanging at home. He takes a longer than usual nap, nice siesta, gets up from his nap, walks outside, looks out and sees this woman named Bathsheba bathing. And at that point, David was filled with lust. In that moment, he had a decision to make. Should he give in to his temptation and keep looking, keep allowing his eyes to stay fixed on her, or should he be like, oh, sorry, and walk inside, right? Instead, he chooses to keep lingering. He, he gives in to his temptation. You know, temptation can be a powerful force for all of us. Temptation can cause all of us to do all kinds of things that we probably wouldn't normally do. But when that temptation sets in, we have a choice to make. Are we going to be strong and say no? Or are we going to give in? It's important to know temptation itself is not a sin. Choosing to give in is when we mess up. And David had a moment when he, he made an intentional decision. Seeing her by accident was not his mistake. It was when he chose to keep looking and then, of course, invites her in. Scripture is pretty clear. I wanted to talk about temptation just for a minute. Uh, two different passages talk about this. First Corinthians chapter 10 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In other words, don't think you can handle anything and you're strong enough to be in any situation. You're human. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. David could have endured. David could have walked away. God provided a way out. But he chose to give in. And James chapter 1 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. By their own evil desire. That's important. Verse 15, Then after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So David is, is kind of taken in by his own desire. It was his desire for her that led him astray. It was, it was not just seeing her, but then it was that I have to have her. I, I need to have her. I don't care who she is. Oh, she's married. Bring her anyway. I have this desire for her. And so he, it was his desire that got him in trouble. Once he desired her, it was game over. The lesson here, church, don't underestimate desire. Pay attention to your desires. Do not think less of them. Do not oversee them. Don't underestimate desire. Don't assume it's no big deal. Pay close attention. The things that you desire are the things you need to be really guarded about. If you desire for sin, you need to know what that sin is, know what that desire is, and do not put yourself in a situation where you set yourself up to fail. If you know what your sin is, protect yourself. Ask people to help you. Ask for accountability. Ask for prayer. Do something. Don't keep putting yourself in the same situation over and over again and expecting yourself to suddenly be strong enough next time. Set yourself up for success. If you, hear this quote, it says, If you don't extinguish desire, you will continue to live with a deep feeling of guilt And you will never be able to let go of the guilt until you stamp out the sin you are allowing to live inside of you. David's sin was his lust and his desire. It got to a point where he didn't, it didn't matter that she was married. Now I know different customs, different, different situation, different society, but still the morals here are the same. Oftentimes guilt follows desire. Oftentimes you give in to your desires, then the guilt sets in. Guilt is a direct consequence of a wrong decision. In David's situation, he kind of gave in to this desire for Bathsheba, and then sin was birthed. And here's what's really sad about this whole story. A lot of, actually, there's a lot of really sad stuff about this story. One of them is, from reading this, it doesn't appear that Bathsheba had any choice. It really doesn't. And, and, and in this time, to say no to a king's request could have been punishable by death. So if the king says, you come to my palace, and she says no, that could be the end of her life. So she's kind of in this situation where she's like, I have a husband. I, I want to I be faithful. But the king is asking me, to, I have to. It's this or nothing. My heart breaks for Bathsheba in this story. She's this silent victim. She had, she had no say. The only time she speaks is when she says, I'm pregnant. That's it. Verse 4 mentions that she was purifying herself. This was a common ritual for women to do after menstruation. 
in the Old Testament, blood was very unclean. Just blood in general. Anyone who came in contact with blood had to be cleansed from it by going through these rituals. And yes, this applied to women every month. Had to walk through these rituals. In fact, if you look at Leviticus chapter 15, verses 19 through 30, it talks about what, what women had to go through. Anything that they touched, sat on, or laid on became unclean. And then it gets worse. If you touched anything they touched or sat on or laid on, now you became unclean. And you had to walk through this ceremony of becoming cleansed. And even after washing yourself with water, you weren't fully clean until evening. So if you touch a blanket that she sat on, guess what? You're unclean the whole rest of the day, all the way until evening. It was this process that they had to go through, and it, it was simply the law. And so she's cleansing herself. It's the end of that time. She's cleansing herself, walking through the ritual, making herself clean. The other thing that's important to note about this is it means she wasn't pregnant already. Uriah, her husband, had not gotten her pregnant and as we read, as the story continues, pay attention to how David reacts to his guilt. I think it's so um, common and relatable. It just shows the humanity. Here, here it continues on in verse 6. It says, so David sent this word to Joab. Remember, Joab is David's nephew, commander of the army. He says, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David's in full-on panic mode. He's like, oh my gosh, what have I done? She's pregnant. Bring me her husband uh, real quick. I'm going to see if I can get him to sleep with her real quick and like, you know, fix this. Because then when the baby comes, oh, yeah, congratulations, Uriah, it's yours. He's, he, he's in panic mode and he realizes his mistake. And that's when his guilt and regret sets in. And he tries to cover everything up. So he asks that Joab bring Uriah in. It's such a human response to guilt. David makes a mistake and he thinks, I'll lie. I'll cheat. I'll do whatever I have to do to protect myself and protect anyone else from knowing what I've done. I know what I'll do. I'll just fix it. Instead of doing the right thing, going to Uriah, telling him what he had done, he said, I'll just come up with this master plan and I'm going to try to fix it and make it better myself. And then when David sees Uriah, can you imagine how he must have been feeling? You know that guilt feeling you get deep in your stomach when you're in you, you need to confess something to someone? I imagine David's like, oh my gosh, Uriah's here. And then he starts this really awkward small talk. I imagine that conversation. He's like, so um, how's, how's Joab doing? Like he's, he's good. Great. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, how, how are the soldiers? They, they doing good? And Uriah's like, yeah, I think they're doing good. And he says, well, how about the war? Are we winning? Are we doing well? He's like, yeah, I think, I think we're doing, what's this all about? Like, I just imagine that whole encounter being really awkward for David. And Uriah's like, why am I here? Why did you bring me out? You, got, you brought me here for small talk. I'm not even the commander. I'm just, why did you bring me here? And, and all, you know that all David can think about is how he wronged Uriah. 
And the whole time, I'm sure he's thinking, dude, I just slept with your wife and I made her pregnant and I don't know how to tell you this and I don't know how to fix this. I'm just, I'm trying to get along. And instead of telling Uriah the truth, he comes up with this plan to, to cover up his mistake. He's like, you know what, Uriah? You've been working really hard. You deserve a night off. Why don't you and your wife go have a date night on me? I'll just, just go home and chill for the night. Just relax, sleep in your own bed. But the other side of this is he's also asking Bathsheba to keep a secret from her husband forever. So that every time she sees him, she's reminded of what happened. She's got this baby girl. Can you imagine? Like my heart goes out to Uriah and Bathsheba and this baby in this story. But do you know where Uriah went? He went to David's front door and slept on the ground to protect David. Do you see the irony? Just the, like the messed upness of this story? He's sleeping at David's front door to protect King David and the rest of the palace. It was, a, it was custom for soldiers not to have any sexual relations when they went off to war. It would kind of make this vow until the war was over, what they would do. So Uriah's kind of following this Custom, and he's trying to do what's right. He's a man of integrity. He could have gone home, but instead he chose to have integrity and do the right thing. And so here's what happens next. Verse 10, David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening... Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. Don't you love Uriah in this story? What a, just a man, a faithful man, a man of integrity. He, he commits to his word. And so David's like, all right, I'm going to make sure. I'm going to get him really drunk and then I'm going to send him home. His, his, you know, he'll be impaired. He won't make the right decisions. He won't be thinking clearly. He'll want to go home. That's how I'll do it. David just over and over, he's just digging himself deeper. And yet again, Uriah chose to protect the king and the rest of the palace. David thought he could do enough to fix his mistakes, but he only made it worse. Robert E. Dunn said this. He says, guilt is one of those emotions that feeds on itself. With every bite, it gets a little heavier. Isn't that true? The deeper you go into it, the longer you wait to confront the person you've wronged, the worse it gets. The longer you wait to make things right, the heavier it gets. And then when you eventually do tell them or they find out, it's so much worse. Holding on to things never benefits you or anyone else. That person you need to confront, that person you need to apologize to, that person you need to come clean with, you need to do it now. You needed to do it yesterday, but you need to do it now because the longer you wait, the worse it's going to get. Do not hold things from the people that you love. I did not plan on sharing this. I think someone needs to hear this. Do not 
hold on. You know, I believe that God works in such a way with us where we do something and there's a grace period where God allows it to remain secret for a certain amount of time. And that's called God's grace. And in the meantime, you start to feel that thing in your gut. That's called conviction. That's God saying, hey, hey, man, hey, girl, hey, don't forget, you need to talk to them. Hey, don't forget, you need to come clean. Hey, you need to ask for forgiveness. And we think, ah, it'll be all right. Ah, they won't find out. Maybe I'll just forget. It'll just get better. It won't. It won't get better. It won't go away. Because eventually that grace period ends. And then God, by his grace, reveals it. And now it's on the surface. And it's typically way worse than it would have been. Don't hold on to guilt. You need to let it go. You need to confront. You need to talk. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to make things right. Only God can do that, by the way. Only God can make things right. David's mistake was he just, he just kept digging himself deeper, and the guilt just got heavier, and it got worse. Verse 14, uh, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with who? Huh. Wow. The letter is to Joab, but guess who delivers the letter? Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. David's like, here, Uriah, can you give this to Joab for me? Thanks. By the way, don't read it. And Uriah all along has no idea. We're going to finish the story, but even to the end of his life, he never knew anything. He dies on the battle lines, not, not knowing what David did, not knowing he was set up to die, not knowing that his wife is pregnant with the king's child, and he dies never knowing the truth. And if you read it in the next chapter, Nathan confronts David and, and sets him straight. Nathan knows what David did, and Nathan tells him everything, and God speaks a word to David and Unfortunately, that baby dies. After seven days, the baby dies. So here you have Bathsheba, this innocent woman taken by the king, goes through all that, loses her husband, later on loses her, her baby, and now she's married to the king David. I mean, my, my heart just, it's so hard for me sometimes to, to, to read and, and to make sense of this stuff. I just, my heart goes out to them. Uriah trusted the king and he gave his death sentence away and he didn't even know it. Joab, he's put in a bad situation too. If he disobeys the king's orders, he could be put up for death. So it's this really unfortunate situation where David makes a mistake and then he all of his trying to cover up all of his mistakes causes all the people around him to get hurt. And I thought, that's what happens. Like it or not, like when we do something, when we have guilt and we try our best to cover it up, you're only hurting the people around you. It's really, it's selfish. When we've wronged someone, if we've done something wrong, and then we try to fix it, other people end up getting hurt, and other people suffer the consequences of your decisions. 
So really, I know you're, oftentimes we are afraid to hurt the person we love, but honestly, by keeping it from them, you're only hurting them worse. The loving thing to do is come clean. Say, hey, I wronged you. Hey, I did this. Please forgive me. Maybe you can't forgive me, but I need to tell you what I've done. I need to fix this. That's what David should have done, but all these people suffered. Keep in mind, David's known as the man after God's own heart. As I was preparing this message, I struggled with that a little bit. I'm just being honest with you. I thought to myself, well, how could he be used by God now? How could he still be king of Israel? Shouldn't he be removed from the throne? Shouldn't he be killed? But you know what? Then God spoke to me. God reminded me of something that I needed to hear. No one is deserving. No one is righteous. No one has earned anything. I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for the grace and love of God in my life. If being a good person without mistake was a prerequisite to the grace of God, no one would make it. No one would make it. Romans 3.23 sets it pretty clear. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have the blood of Jesus Christ on our hands. All of us have sinned. Later on in Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death. So if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, then none of us deserves life. None of us deserves forgiveness of God. We're all guilty of something. It's only by the love and grace of God that any one of us is forgiven and called children of God. Whatever it is you've done, just know God sees you and he's like, hey, I died for you. Hey, I love you. Hey, I forgive you. Hey, I want to redeem you. Hey, I want to bring beauty from ashes. Hey, I want to use this for the better of you and for the better of others in your life, if you will let me. That's the heart of God. God's not sitting on his throne looking down on us and saying, you messed up, you messed up, you messed up. You're not good enough. I'm not going to use you. You just need to sit and sulk for a while. That's not the heart of God. God says, let me pick you up. Let me dust you off. Let me make you white as snow and let me use you for my glory. I can use this. You know, God sees that stuff in our lives and he's like, I can use this for my good and for the good of others. But we have to let our guard down and allow him. Listen to this. No matter how many times we turn our backs on the one who gave us everything, no matter how much pain we cause others, the grace, love, and forgiveness of God is unrelenting unrelenting. No matter what you've done, it's unrelenting. God can do anything. Do you believe that? God can bring good out of any situation. No one's too far gone. In the New Testament, we have a great example of this with Paul. He wrestled with things he had done in the past. He was a Pharisee. He made it his mission to destroy the church to destroy Christians. In fact, on a mission, he was on his way and Jesus spoke to him right there, struggling with blindness and, and God redeemed him. And he writes about it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though, that's a big one, all of us can say that, right? Even though... Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy 
because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save sinners. That's you and me. To save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Glory to God. Glory to God. Paul's like, I'm, I'm a sinner just like you. Just like you. In a lot of ways, Paul could say he's done worse things than many of us. And yet God used him. God set him free from the guilt. Paul wasn't walking around with his head low. He was walking around being used by God. And and he was shown mercy that Jesus might display his patience. As an example, God will work everything out in the end. Your past mistakes were not for nothing. God uses all things for his good. Even your biggest mistakes and regrets will be used to better others. Glory to God. And it's because of this whole thing. If you finish reading this chapter and the next chapter, you find out the Uriah is killed and, and the baby dies. And, and David ends up writing this beautiful psalm of repentance. Psalm 51. That David writes this right after Nathan confronts him. Psalm 51 verse 1 says, have mercy on me. Oh God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Isn't that beautiful? I know many of you are mad at David right now. I understand. (laughs) I understand. But so David writes this psalm of repentance. After doing this horrible, horrible thing, He says, God, have mercy on me because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me. David is asking for what he knows he doesn't deserve. He's asking for something from God, and it's in Hebrew, the word is hesed. Hesed. Hesed is a Hebrew word for love. One of the Hebrew words for love. And what's interesting about hesed is it's very difficult to translate into English. The English language doesn't suffice to explain the beauty of God's hesed love. But some have attempted. John Oswald, here's his, his words for the, for the hesed love. He says, a completely undeserved kindness and generosity. That's God's chesed love for you and for me. This love that's undeserved, meaning you couldn't earn it, possibly. Even if you tried, you could never earn the love and grace and forgiveness of God. You could never do enough on your own to earn it. Have you ever been in need of the chesed love of God? Truthfully, all of us have. The perfect example of chesed love is what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. This act that he didn't have to do, that he chose to do out of love for God's people. Went be over and above and beyond for us. Setting us free from what we could never do on our own. Lois said, Lois Teverberg said, Hesed is not just a feeling, but an action. It intervenes on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue. Isn't that what Jesus did on the cross for us? 
Praise God, he intervened on our behalf. He rescued us and set us free from our guilt and shame. Praise God for his unfailing love. You know what this means, right? It means that even when you and I fail, the perfect Hesed love of God never will. That even in your lowest of lows, the worst place you've ever been in your life, that's where God's Hesed love picks you up and says, my love for you is unconditional. I want to make you clean. You shouldn't feel guilty anymore. I set you free from that. Scripture says that our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. God looks at us and he forgives us. It's his Hesed love. And even though you and I will never be good enough on our own, we are loved by God. David's prayer continues in verse 7. He says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 8 I think is so relatable. Give me back my joy again. Give me back the joy that I once had. That place that I once was, God, give me that joy again. And then he says, you have broken me. Now let me rejoice. David is in the perfect, he's, he's putty in the hands of God because he recognizes his sin and he has this key, which I'm going to talk about. This is the key to letting go of guilt. Are you guys ready for it? The key to letting go of guilt today is repentance. It's repentance. Repentance is this whole idea of turning your back on your old ways, turning your back on what you've, what you've done or what you used to do and saying, that's not me anymore. I'm not that person. I know I once was. I'm not proud of it, but I've turned my back on that. And now, God, I'm in full force towards you. That's repentance. And repentance is the key to letting go of guilt. And David gets to this place where he says, God, I'm broken. He's at rock bottom. He's at the lowest place he could be. And sometimes I think God's like, oh, you're right there. Now watch what I can do in you. You've let your guard down. You're humble. You're broken. And God says, watch me bring something beautiful out of your brokenness. There's beauty in brokenness. It's in our brokenness that God does the most work in our hearts. It's when you are broken that you are humble. When you are humble, you are more open to the redemptive work of God. I think God was waiting for David to be broken. And once he was, God was able to work this redemption in his life. If you're running from guilt today, if you're carrying guilt with you today, you need to let it go. You need to repent. You need to do the work to make things right. If you've wronged someone, you got to go to them. You got to repent and you got to go to this person. You got to apologize sincerely. And don't expect forgiveness right away. All you can do is confront and, and own up to what you've done. Don't hold it back anymore because it's just building and getting worse and worse the longer you wait. You need to go to God and confront Him and run into Him and embrace the Hesed love of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Glory to God. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience conscience. 
If you have a guilty conscience, consider that the grace of God. Consider that the conviction of God. Consider that you are in a grace period and it's time to make it right. It's time to repent. It's time to confront. It's time to have that conversation you don't want to have, the conversation you've been dreading. It's time. It's time because the guilt's not going to go away. It's not going to get any better. It's time to surrender. It's time to allow God to do a cleansing work in you. But you have to draw near to God with a sincere heart and allow that cleansing water to cleanse you from a guilty conscience. See, the road to redemption and forgiveness starts with you admitting that you need it. Once you know you need it, there is no limit to what God can do in your life. Once you reach that place of brokenness, that place of full surrender, that's when God can do his best work in your heart. Guilt is a weighty shackle that will imprison you to your past mistakes, but the Hesed love of God is the key to redemption and new life. It's the Hesed love, the love that's unconditional, that doesn't make sense, that you can't explain. It's that love of God that sets you free. David's prayer continues. He says, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Some of you need to memorize this verse. All of us. We need to memorize this verse, guys. We need to memorize this chapter and, and say this to our say it to God every day. It's a it's a perfect example of repentance. This is what repentance looks like. This is the prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He's like, God, can you forgive me? Can you remove the stain of my guilt? Can you forgive me of what I did to Uriah? Can you forgive me of what I did to Bathsheba? Can you forgive me of what I did to Joab? And not to mention all the other men that lost their lives in that stunt as well. David has lived with the pain of his mistakes. And in Psalm 51, he he makes a turn to do the right thing. And he repents. Truthfully, there is no letting go of guilt without repentance. There's no letting go of guilt without repentance. The guilt is not going to leave you until you repent to Jesus. It's not going to go away. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and the guilt's going to be gone. If you're carrying guilt with you, you need to make it right. And once you find yourself at the feet of Jesus, admitting your mistakes, asking for forgiveness, then you will be on the road to forgiveness and freedom from Jesus. I love this. You need to know this. The guilt behind you is the enemy of the growth in front of you. Write that one down. Memorize that one. The guilt behind you is the enemy of the growth that is in front of you. It's holding you back. It's keeping you from moving forward. And it will until you deal with it. It's the enemy of the growth in front of you. I want to wrap up Psalm 51. David continues, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. 
Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves, then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Do you know what that means? When you go to God fully and you and you repent, God says, I, I, I love you, you're my child. It, it says right here, God will not neglect a broken and repentant heart. God will listen. God will listen. God hears you. He's with you and it captures David's whole heart of repentance. I want to encourage you with these last couple verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Hallelujah. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is in Jesus alone that we become the righteousness of God, that we become reconciled, that we become as it was intended in the garden. We become as it was intended. When God sees us, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus. When you repent, when you make it right, God forgives. He restores. Why are you holding on to the guilt? Let it go. It's the enemy of the growth in front of you. Let it go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't condemn you. He forgives you. He forgives you. You are forgiven. You are made new. You are made whole. You are made right. You are made pure. Trust in the Lord. Praise God. Because of his love, there's no condemnation. Well, church, I am. Hmm. Let's pray together, church. Lord. Many of us are here today carrying a lot of weight. Carrying the regret from past mistakes. And it's time we let it go. And it's time we repent. And it's time we give it up. It's time we surrender it to the cross, to the feet of you, Jesus. And you've come and you've taken it all away. And it really is that easy in your eyes. Lord, help us to trust you and to truly repent and Give our guilt, give our shame to you. God, if you can forgive and use David, if you can forgive and use kings or and use Saul, Lord, you can you can forgive anyone. I pray that new paths start today. I pray that redemption starts today. I pray that healing starts today. I pray that new life starts today. I pray that we can finally forgive ourselves and move past the mistakes that we've made. And move on to more things that you want to do in us and through us. 
Have your way in us, God. If you're here today, you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, perfect time. I encourage you to say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give you my heart. Will you forgive me of my sin? Will you redeem me like you redeemed David? Will you redeem me? Will you show me? Will you make good out of my past? Lord, it's ugly, but will you make good out of it? And I choose to follow you today. You're my Savior. You're my God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, we couldn't, I couldn't think of a better opportunity to take communion. Um, what a perfect image of what Jesus did for us, wiping away our guilt and our shame on the cross. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his disciples. He was having a meal with them. You know what? I'm going to read it. My Bible's gone, but I have one here. It's all right. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Actually, I'm going to back up. Verse, uh, verse 14. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus willingly sacrificed his own life, went to the cross, his body broken, his blood poured out, and it was the ultimate perfect sacrifice that had to be made for you and I. He had to be perfect, and he was. Had to be fully God and fully man. And he, he went to the cross and did the death that all of us deserve and set us free. And now literally it is that easy to where you want forgiveness of your sin, you repent. You go to Jesus with a sincere heart and you repent. You don't have to bring a goat, a pigeon. You just go to your father and you talk to him and you say, Father, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And he says, you are forgiven. Go and sin no more. <laughs> um, you have an opportunity, all of us have an opportunity to take communion together today. I want to encourage you as you prepare your heart to take communion, talk to God first. It's always a good thing to, um, personally for me, I like to pray before I come up and take communion. I like to get right with God, confess my sin, get my heart to a good place, and then I like to take communion. We have something also we want to offer for you today. We've got prayer partners that are going to be up here in the front of the room, right under this screen over here. Um, they're going to be there to pray for you, specifically for you. They're going to stand there. There's going to be two songs we're going to sing. They're going to be up there, both of those songs. You have full opportunity to go and talk to them and pray with them. They'll pray with you. They'll listen, and they'll pray with you. But in a moment, I want to pray, introduce communion, and then you feel free to take communion whenever you're ready. We've got stations in the back of the room, two back there, and then we've got two up front here. So whichever you want to do, please Please go for it. Let me pray for us. Lord, 
Thank you for what you did on the cross for us. And today we remember you and the sacrifice you made for us. We remember what you did. And we thank you. We owe you everything, Lord. We give you our life. Will you forgive us of our sin? Purify our hearts, God. Do a cleansing work in us. And help us to get on the right track. And we remember you today and the sacrifice you made for us on that cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.